This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We got a bite of Micah, Micah Renfro. Did I say that right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Just make sure with, is it Energist or The Energist? The Energist. The Energist. Michael, what do you guys do at The Energist? Uh, so we do executive recruiting and uh, uh, consulting advisory. Um, been around since 1979. Um, I haven't been there since 1979, but the firm was <laughs> I founded. I you're old by, enough to be there since <laughs> 1979. Um, the firm was founded by a couple of engineers and a couple of geologists that drew their rotation to um think it was like West Africa and they were in their twenties and I don't want to go to West Africa on rotation. Now I can't imagine back in the seventies mm -hmm. wanting to go. Oh geez. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so they decided to start, uh, the energist as technical people recruiting technical people. Mm. Um, then we've stayed in energy throughout. And to my knowledge, we're the, one of the longest standing, if not the longest standing energy focused, uh, recruiting firms out there, headhunting firms out there. Um, and so, I started working there about 11 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, something like that. Um, started in investment banking, uh, kind of got my teeth kicked in in that for a few years. And where, were you at, where were you at there? Wells Fargo. Okay. Yeah. I was in <coughs> Wells Fargo between San Francisco and New York. So, okay. um, Is that energy investment banking? Yeah. So I was okay. in the capital markets group. So okay. we did, I say we did, like I did pretty much spreadsheets and kind of converting senior bankers notes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I didn't, didn't really have a whole lot of input in any of the other stuff, uh, and drank a lot of coffee. Sounds like the life of any, uh, investment bankers, just PowerPoints, and yeah, spreadsheets yeah. all day. <laughs> that was it. That was it. There was nothing glorious about it. And, uh, went back to grad school and, um, started doing the headhunting thing with, um, uh, the energists and, um, loved it. And then, Bought the firm about five, six years ago. It's hard for me to keep time straight because it seems like 2020 was just a blink and it was gone. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but uh, bought it with a partner who's focused more on international and services companies and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, and so that's it. Over the past four years, I think we've built about 75 to 100 different portfolio companies um, focused just on upstream, probably worked with about 10 to 15 midstream companies. Um, and then I don't really know off the top of my head how many different technology companies we've worked with just because it's really hard to kind of put a box on tech, like what, what's classified as technology, mm -hmm. what software, what, yeah. you know, how does that go? But that's been pretty constant and steady for the last, I'd say three years. Yeah. So uh, pretty much all technical teams still though, right? Pretty much. Yeah. In okay. finance, yeah. um, do a lot of finance and accounting work as well. So, um, but that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Your comment about, uh, you know, going out to West Africa in the seventies and eighties. I think about that all the time because be like on this little, you know, shitty jack up rig out in the Gulf of Mexico. I'm like, man, this sucks. <laughs> and I'd always think about it. I'm like, this sucks now. Like think about what working on an offshore rig back in the eighties was like, I was like, I bet that was just terrible. And then Dude. you extrapolate that out to like Africa. <laughs> I'm think sure about that Africa in the seventies. It's like when nobody had any money anyways, it's <laughs> like everything's held together with whatever whatever predated duct tape yeah so i was supposed to go to uh, west africa once and ended up not going but i was talking to some friends that had been there and you know a lot of people haven't 
rode in helicopters to a great extent, but when you work offshore, you ride in helicopters and you learn just how, uh, you know, sketchy helicopters are like, these are very finicky machines. Like a bird will take you down and, and you're all dead. Right. And so anyways, my friends are telling <laughs> you're me, it's all like, dead. yeah, it's like, you, man, you think that they're bad <laughs> here. Dead. There's no survivors. <laughs> no, you don't survive. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you think it's bad here in the States. He's like, man, you should try riding helicopters out in Africa. <laughs> and you just think about, okay, if it's still sucks that bad here. I've seen like taxi drivers in other countries and they just have no regard for anybody's lives. I can't imagine like helicopter <laughs> drivers. They're just like, ah, we're just going to fly all over the place. Well, it's, it's like, I think, um, there's a, a guy's name's John Applegath. He's like a legend in, in, um, upstream. And at one point in time, I'm not sure where he is now, but at one point in time he was, um, at range. And I think he ran their Marcellus Utica stuff. Oh, okay. And then he came down here and opened the Houston office when they merged with Memorial. And so how he got into, uh, oil and gas was, and it was so shifty back then. This is think back in the seventies. Um, so he was one of the, uh, uh, helicopter pilots that dropped soldiers off in, in, in Vietnam. <laughs> and so I can't remember what they called them, but it was like the, the guys that actually went into combat and were dropping off the yeah. different, and they had like the shortest life expectancies. And yeah. those guys are the real heroes of yeah. Vietnam. Applegath made it, he did that and then was flying people out to rigs and started talking to one of them in one of the flights and then ended up going back to school and getting his petroleum engineering degree. Really? But it's like, that's the kind of skill you had to have to, to drop people off. So think about that. Like, so that means it's kind of like, yeah, this guy's out flying. Shot at or? <laughs> this guy's flying Chinook <laughs> helicopters in the middle of the Vietnam jungle and then goes to flying out to, to rigs. Yeah. He's a good, he's a good guy. Well, I don't know if he's still around or not. Didn't yeah. you say when we had lunch that, uh, you pieced together Aubrey's first team for Chesapeake? Yeah. So, so most of those guys were put together before I was there. Cause that mm. was back in like early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, we put together, I think over the lifetime of Chesapeake when Aubrey was there, I think we did about 86 different positions for him. Wow. wow. And so um, they came up with some, Aubrey was like this awesome guy, um, very charismatic, very, you could definitely tell how he got to where he was, you mm -hmm. know, it wasn't, wasn't one of those things that you questioned. So you got to his, meet him a bunch of times? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so obviously it was at the time, Oklahoma city is different now than it, than it was then when they were really booming, like around 2011, I think. And, um, uh, maybe 10. And so we came up with this idea that, that to get people to move to Oklahoma city, um, Aubrey would host a dinner, a steak and lobster dinner for any engineer or geologist that wanted to come. And, um, or I don't know if it was for any, it may have been a selected target list that we put together. And so they, they invite all these guys. And, and so there's whatever, 70 people show up to get this steak and lobster dinner and Aubrey's up there talking. And, um, uh, I think he ends up hiring like 25 of them, convinces them to move up to Oklahoma city. And, you know, he shows them the plans for the compound he's building and everything like yeah. that. And so they all moved up there. So it was, he was a, he was a dynamic individual for sure. So with something like that, actually, let me back up real quick. Flex on us a little bit more. What other what other teams did you put together? I know you mentioned that you guys, you worked with a bunch of uh, of other kind of like big names over the years. Yeah. So, um, God, there's um, we've done banking teams. You know, we put the whole A and D team, the whole technical evaluations team together at Jeffries. Mm. Um, 
I think that started about six years ago. Um, and then we've, we've done everyone since then. And then, you know, they've, they've crushed it over the years as far as A and D is concerned. We've put, uh, put the technical teams on board at most of the private capital providers, like your NCAPs and Quantums and places like that, um, EIG, um, several places. Some of the other big companies that as far as like putting the entire companies together, one of the things that's changed a lot over the, the course of just the time that I've been at the Energist is how, uh, how large the internal recruiting teams are at independent operating companies. You know, like we put, um, I think we put 25 people or so ish on board at Devon, but that was like kind of a drop in the bucket as far as their overall head count. And, um, you know, back in back pre my time, like in the nineties and stuff, like we had put together all of Pennzoil's international group, um, put together, which I think Devon acquired. And then that became most of Devon's international group. Mm. Um, put together, um, Maxis, which isn't even a company anymore. I can't remember who bought Maxis, but might've been Pennzoil bought Maxis. I can't remember, but, um, put all that team together. Pennzoil also bought George HW Bush's EMP. Yeah. I can't rolled it up into Pennzoil. And then, yeah, I don't remember what it was called either. Yeah. <clears throat> I just know that from a video that we did forever ago. <laughs> <laughs> might've had to do with football. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Jake's really salty about this. So we made a video that was a video essay and it was the history of the NFL and how the NFL was originated by oil men. And oh, we I thought, didn't know that. Yeah. And we thought it would do badass. You know, it goes back talking about- uh, <laughs> It's HL. just doing 1 million views yeah. at least. <laughs> you know, it talks about the Hunt family starting up, you know, the Chiefs and the AFC and just talks about all the NFL owners um, that were oil- uh, oil guys. And anyways, the video flopped and it didn't do really well. And we'd spent like 40 hours making that video. And so Jake's pretty butthurt about it. So I like to pull out nuggets from all my <laughs> yeah, research yeah. on that video. So it was, it, was chance a, that I it was a research project. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We just got smart. Yeah. So yeah. know a whole lot about the NFL now <laughs> and the formation of well, that. Good thing, I guess, to know about. But, so, uh, you know, for you guys, I have a question real quick. Um, you know, usually like when I think of recruiters, you know, it's like, okay, I'm company X and I'm looking for, you know, a reservoir engineer and it's like a one-off deal, but it sounds like you guys have like actually really built out some teams, you know, like Jeffries, you know, building out their entire A&D division. What does that look like for you guys? You know, that's, I mean, obviously there's a reason a company's hiring you guys to do that because it's hard yeah. to go and place that. But if you're, you know, building a team for another company, I mean, there's so many things that go, you know, corporate culture and, and things of that nature. And, you know, it's not necessarily your business. So how do you guys go about finding the right people and building the right team for that company? So culture is the most important thing whenever you're doing something like that. And I think different people have different opinions on how to do that. Um, I kind of look at it. It's, it's kind of a simple, simple method. It's, um, like, so when I go out with, you know, you spend a lot of time with whoever the group lead is going to be. And then you kind of see how well you're going to mesh with them. And it's, it's almost like you kind of try to mirror how they are and it's, and then you figure out what they like, what their interests are and things. And then you try to get people that are going to kind of build into that. And so like with, with Jeffries, it was putting a lot of young high performers on board, but they also need to be a, a um, 
pretty dynamic in front of an audience and be comfortable in front of mm -hmm. the CEOs and stuff. And so I always went with really good technical people that I would want to grab a beer with after work. Yeah. And, um, that was kind of, you know, that was, that was, that was one of the ways that it was just easy. It wasn't like, you know, I wasn't looking for the best scientist or, or something like that. You wanted somebody that, cause you, you want them to kind of think about, it's just a different, it's that there's different types of intelligence. You know, there's, there's IQ, EQ, and then now they're, they're studying like the, the, the TQ, the, uh, uh, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. It's the, uh, or I'm sorry, RQ, the resiliency quotient. Hmm. So it's your ability to maintain your intelligence in tough times and kind of your ability to bounce back. Mm. Um, and so you've got these three things. And so it's almost like, you know, there's a lot of people in our industry that, that have really high IQs, um, a lot, like most of them. Mm -hmm. Um, EQs are kind of hit or miss. Um, you know, some of the people that you walk away from and you're like, that person's really smart, but they are a complete asshole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, th they're probably, they're missing that EQ thing, Yeah. but they might have a really high RQ. And so, you know, because they're going to be for better or worse, kind of just an asshole all the time, you know, and it's like, they're not going to get in the dumps because they're always kind of there sometimes <laughs> stay <anyway>. consistent, <laughs> <laughs> slow and steady. And so, you know, when you're building, when you're building company culture and stuff, you want to get, you want to think about it. It's almost like an, uh, you have to take like an empathetic approach and not an empathetic in the sense that you feel not that you're feeling someone else's pain or something like that, but you're feeling the way they interpret things. And so you look at the ways that, <clears throat> that maybe they look at deals, maybe the way that they look at the industry, what do they want to do with their careers? Is this going to feed their career or not? You know, that's something that I think that a lot of, of, of recruiters kind of miss out on. And it's that they focus on, you know, just filling a position. Mm -hmm. And I think, the really good ones um, also think about like, is so I need to feel what's best for the company, but what's best for the company is a, is a, is a happy employee it's a good fit. and a happy employee is going to be someone that it's also meeting their alternative goals other than just money. Yep. You know, like, are they getting something out of this? Are they learning from their employers? Are they learning in their situations and their environments? Is this progressing them closer to where they want to be in five years? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think that, I think that's a big thing that a lot of people miss out on and they don't think about. Um, and I think, I think employees do too. I think that they look at what's it going to look like for the next 12 months, you know, how much more money am I going to make stuff like that? And it's like, sometimes you don't make more in the next move. You make more two, three years down the road, you know? So if you, if you were to average it out over four years or whatever you would, but you got to think about like that, is this going to make me happy? Like, is this going to get me closer to where I want to be? Yeah. So many people chase money, right? And yeah. don't get me wrong, everyone wants to make money, but been in situations where making a ton of money and not happy. And yeah. guess what? I don't care how much money you make, if if it's at the uh if it's at the expense of your happiness. It's like it there's just, there's like other things, like people want to be challenged, right? People yeah. want to feel a part of something. People want to feel ownership of you know, projects, they want to you know, see the company kind of grow. It's not always just about, I don't know, let's just make tons and tons of money. Yeah. You know, I think this is actually what's tough though. What I was kind of getting at is, you know, when we hire, it's easy to be like, Oh, Hey, they're perfect cultural fit. You know, I've always said that if I was to take a, you know, let's say a marketer, for example, you could give me 
person A and they're a 10 out of 10 off of marketing technical skills. Or you could give me a 7 out of a 10, but that 7 out of a 10 is a a perfect cultural fit. I'll take the 7 that's a cultural fit over a 10 out of 10 on technical skills because I think that um, soft skills and cultural fit dominate everything in my opinion. But it's easy for me to do that because I know my company and I know the types of people that I want within the company. You, on the other hand, you're building teams for other people's companies. And so you're having, just like you said, you know, I'm going to go with the team lead. I'm going to drink a beer with them and try to understand them. Like that seems difficult to really understand who you're building a team for and trying to make sure that you're finding those fits where both Mm -hmm. the employee and the employer is going to be a fit for each other. Yeah, it, it's it's a challenge, but I think a lot of it's done up front, and it was a lot easier before everybody was concerned about being around other people. Um, you know, pre-COVID, you'd go out, would play around a golf, or go to lunch, or or something. You know, where you get to kind of talk to somebody when their guards down, and it's not a buttoned-up meeting-type environment in the no. boardroom. And um, you know, I think that it's not just like the, the skills of the the headhunter it's also like kind of laying out what your expectations are as a as as the the vendor for the the hiring agent you know it's like I need to understand what you want in order for me to find what you want and you know I think that there are some really good companies out there that have done a really good job at doing that and there's some good companies out there that haven't done a great job of doing that and I think that the management of expectations, can carry through to the workplace too. Um, you know, you want a boss or an employer or supervisor, whatever you want to call it, to be very clear on their expectations of, of what success looks like. And I, and I don't know that a lot of people are really good at that outside of the, I think, I think some of the really big companies are taught that. Um, you know, I think that they're, at least they used to be. I don't, I don't know yeah. how much people are spending on leadership training now. But do you yeah. think, do you think that there's something that's historically been, I don't know, I guess maybe fucked up from all the companies that have done it. Like how have they fucked up hiring over the last, like, I don't know, a couple decades. So how have they, how have they fucked up? Um, I think that there are some that have been really successful doing some things and, and, and the reason they're successful is um, timing was really good Mm -hmm. or it was a unique group of people. I think that depending on what you're looking at doing. So, I think one thing that companies can make a mistake at doing is hiring one person and then all that person hiring all their friends. Mm. I, I think that I don't think that um, I don't think friends at the top do well with 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 friends below always because mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know if, if you're friends with say you've got say you've got two guys that start a company and you're friends with one of them and you get the job and then the two partners are having your performance evaluation with you and they have the conversation what's going to that guy's going to naturally feel okay with talking to his buddy after that one-on-one well then that's going to potentially create a rift between the two partners and so i think that for a lot of depending on what level you're talking about i think it's good to just have kind of like a no friend Mm -hmm. um no friend rule yeah um and there are some companies out there that have done a really, that have stuck to that and they've done a really good job. And I don't mean nobody that you've worked with. I that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, like your high school roommate or your or college roommate, 
hopefully we aren't hiring high school roommates, but um, <laughs> uh, college roommate or, you know, your whatever, um, your buddy. Yeah. I just don't think that goes well. I think, and I think that there's some companies that have done that historically throughout kind of the, the oil and gas industry that I don't think it's gone well. Yeah. As um, I say, oil and gas companies are pretty notorious for that. Yeah. Even yep. like some of the family owned businesses, like I'm just going to throw them on the bus, Sanchez, you know, you hear nightmare stories, you can go in Glassdoor and read it. It's like, it's the family runs the whole business and then they bring in other family members. And I've seen time and time again in this industry, that's a huge complaint. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. And, you know, I think that it was fine because the Sanchez, you know, that, that company was very successful for decades. Mm -hmm. It changed once I think they brought other capital in. Once mm. other investors are involved and that changes the dynamic, you know, when it's not a family owned company anymore, it's different. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, like, um, you know, I think the hunt family, for instance, you know, they've had numerous successful ventures and they all go to work for each other and, and, and stuff. Um, but it's the hunt money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. So they can do that. You yeah. Know? They have their own drama yeah. between them all like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. splitting yeah, up yeah. and uh, you do whatever you want when it's your yeah, own money. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Datagration. Now we know that the best workover candidates with the highest potential production gain typically are overlooked because they are not always obvious at first sight. There are thousands of mature oil and gas fields in the US with hundreds of thousands of wells to monitor and optimize with an ever-shrinking skilled workforce. That means hundreds of wells for each production engineer to analyze daily. This routine work normally is not automated and leads to lengthy well-by-well -well reviews. Built within the Petrovisor platform, the Datagration team has automated the entire workflow candidate screening process. By leveraging machine learning and knowledge automation, premature well abandonment is avoided, thus extending well life and deferring well plugging cost. Engineering time is saved by highlighting the best opportunities within the platform, and engineers can now spend their time on the most promising workover candidates and standardize best practices. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more about Petrovisor use cases. So how does, like, you know, there's, there's a few questions I want to ask you in the evolution of the business since you've been involved with it, because, you know, let's look, you know, from 2010 to today, you know, the rise of social media and LinkedIn how that's affected recruiting. You know, I've seen recruiting firms and people on LinkedIn all the time. How do you differentiate yourself from every other recruiting firm that's out Good there? Point. Like talk to us about what it's like to manage a recruiting firm and executive search company in today compared to how it was, you know, in 2010. So, um, I think there's, and it's 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 kind of a, a pedantic or a pedantic differentiation between the two things. There's a difference, in my opinion, to recruiting and, and executive search. But yeah, dive into that for so, someone that doesn't know. So search is your search, it, and it's it's also I, I'm trying to think of how to not say it where it's it's putting one or above or, or below or anything like that because they're both very very valuable um, pieces of the market. Yeah, but. Search is, I think, typically involves a little more about what I'm talking about in, in searching for the right culture, searching for the right people to fit that culture. I think that the um, kind of scattershot recruiting firms that are going to, you know, they're going to, they work more with the candidate than they do the client. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the search firms work with the client and find the candidates. Got you. And um, 
I think at different, for different disciplines, I think they have their place. Um, you wouldn't see anybody posting, for instance, like I'm, I'm working on a, a CEO search right now and I'm not going to post on LinkedIn. Hey, does anybody know someone that would be a good candidate for this CEO role? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, but if I'm working on, you know, if, if someone's working on a, um, a division order analyst, well, well, you might do it. It doesn't mean that one's any yeah. more important than the other. It's just, it's different the way that you would approach it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, you know, you can divide the space up into two sectors, you know, search and recruitment and you guys are taking different sides, you know, search is going out and actually finding someone right. that's qualified for the position recruitment, maybe more just kind of shotgun blast. Hey, let's see what's out there. Bring inbound into us. But you know, you guys are going out and, you know, say it's a CEO or some other high level executive, you're actually going out and searching for them. Right. And m- pre 2019, um, 98% of the searches that we did, the, the people weren't actively looking. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was, we had to wine and dine and take people out and convince them to leave, you know, like I get that it's good, but it's good everywhere. Yeah. Um, now it's a little different because you can take it's people bad everywhere. Really, yeah. <laughs> th- there's people everywhere. And, um, but even away from that, it's that you can find really, um, you can find people with the skills that you're looking for that maybe their company's just not in great, great yeah. shape. And so they're entertaining other options. I think that people are just more open to hearing what's out there now than mm-hmm. they were back then. You know, like, um, I think that back in, geez, back in like 2010, 2011, geez, you couldn't, you couldn't get a call back. And I think, I, you know, I had friends and stuff that were, that were engineers or they are my friends that, 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 that were active back then. And, you know, they'd get, shoot, it was like six calls a day from, from recruiters just reading scripts to them and stuff like yeah. that. And, um, you know, so I guess the, the diff it's, it, you had to differentiate yourself then, but you have to differentiate yourself now. It's just like anything else. People have multiple options in the market. And so, yeah. you know, um, I think that one of the big ways that, that, that we differentiate is that I think that whenever I entered this space, pretty much everyone was like 55 years or older. Mm-hmm. Um, all the younger, younger folks were doing the, the more just kind of scattershot recruiting that I'm talking about. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons I went to work for these guys. Cause I started in a more scattershot kind of deal. And the reason I went to work for them was cause I thought, you know, these dudes have been doing this. They're the best at what they do. And they've been doing this for like 35 years. So they're going to introduce me to a, a different approach, a different style. Mm-hmm. and different people, like people that aren't going to take a call from a 20 something year old yeah. kid that's in grad school. They're just not <laughs> going to do it, you know? And yeah, I, I took a lot of rib shots and stuff like that in meetings when they're all sitting around and, you know, but it was fine. Cause I would laugh about it and yeah. it, was, it was a good time. Um, learned a lot, but it's just changed. The, the whole industry has changed. And I think that so, I think that the social media element has added a, a certain amount to it. Yeah. I think, I think I almost think that people are more connected now than they used to be, mm-hmm. but it's a different kind of connection. I think they mm-hmm. were just as connected back then. It was just different. I think yeah. that now it's less personal connection. Yeah. Um, 
Now yeah. it's emails, text messages, LinkedIn messages, that kind of thing. Yeah. Back then. It's not as deep. Yeah. Back then it was like, you know, you went to, now whether or not it was all above table or whatever, you know, I wasn't in the industry in the the 90s and, yeah. and 80s and stuff, but you know, it's like the, the Cadillac had the oil and gas mixer like every Friday. Um, you know, there was events to go to every, and people went. And yeah. now you go to the mixers and stuff like that and, and, and networking deals, and it's, it's, it's not quite the same. Yeah, unless it's a digital wildcatters event, people show up for that. So. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was really sorry to miss y'all's uh I know the whole missed, the whole event out, was man. run because you weren't there. Yeah, yeah. it but looked no. awesome. No, it was. Have y'all seen? Have y'all seen the movie uh, Friends with Benefits? So I haven't. It's just I like running so. through my head right now. I was with Justin Timberlake and uh, what's oh name? yeah, Mila yeah. Kunis. Yeah, yeah. Mila Kunis. I don't know how to say her name, but anyways, she's uh, an executive uh, <laughs> search uh, a recruiter, and she recruits Justin Timberlake to come be the CEO of uh, GQ, and so. <laughs> He would, like, he would work at GQ. That's like running, that's running through my head while we're having this conversation. I'm like, oh yeah, Kunis played that part. She was the executive search yeah. role. <laughs> so kind of piggybacking on that and talking about like social media and changing and things like that. You've got like, obviously we put out tons of content. This is what we do for a living. We can do that because we report to nobody. That's not the case for a lot of people who work for different employers. And I just had some conversations offline with different people who keep getting, you know, slapped on the wrist for putting out personal content that is, you know, supposed to be used to build their personal brand, usually in some kind of like business development type role, yet companies are suppressing that, especially mm -hmm. in this industry. It seems very, very strange to me. I'm curious if you've had to deal with it on either side with the individual or with any of these companies, because that's the kind of person that, that I would want to hire. Yeah. Somebody who's going out and taking the extra effort to to build up their exposure, to build up their personal brand, to grow their network, to grow their connections. And companies are not seeing the value in it. They're thinking, oh no, we have to control every single thing that gets communicated, you know, on your personal LinkedIn because you're tied back to us. You see what I'm saying? I think I, I've seen some stuff on LinkedIn and just generally speaking, any advice I would give to, to anyone um, is I, I, think, I think that our generation and younger, um, I, I don't think that they quite, have thought about what they post online and what it's going to mean in like 20 or 30 years. I don't think that they've thought about what that looks like. And maybe this isn't what you're talking about, but there's a lot of things right now. And I think that just society as a whole has gotten very split mm. and, and there is no more meeting in the middle. And if you disagree with someone on a political topic or something like that, then it's almost like you're criticizing their family. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's, um, there is no, there is no middle ground on stuff anymore. And yeah. so in, in my opinion, I would just stay away from anything, posting anything that has to do with anything controversial on any yeah. thing. Like, yeah. yeah. So I'm not talking, so not quite and I know, about and I get where you, but I, I, I think, I, I think I'm, I, I stay away from anything political, political yeah. or yeah. religious. Any of that stuff. Any of that stuff. Posts that are specifically promoting their company, services, or products. Yeah. Yeah, so like giving you an example, like a lot of uh, people in oil field sales or engineers, like I know an engineer that's a SME on um, ESP pumps and puts out some great content on it. And anyways, suppressed by his company, the MP says, hey, you can't be, you can't be putting out content like that. So 
this isn't any controversial content. This is just educational. Like, hey, here's how ESPs work. Yeah. And you see this a lot. Like, OFS sales guys are starting to put out content. Just like, hey, you know, I'm out here running to this rig. And anyways, companies are essentially, like Jake said, suppressing them and, and shutting them down. But people are starting to realize the power of social media and just documenting and sharing your knowledge and what that does for your personal brand and building up your network. And, you know, you start mm-hmm. to become a authority on topics, but companies seem to not, it, it seems like, especially in the oil and gas industry, companies just don't understand the value in having your employees tell their story. And do you see, you know, for people that are in the industry or people that are looking for a job, I mean, do you see that as, you know, when you're working in the recruiting space, do you see that as a negative or positive or does it affect it all? Totally depends on, on the, the position and the company. Like, yeah. um, as far as what I've seen now, how I would deal with it is I would, I would, I, I can't imagine that anybody would want you to not have more contacts. Like I can't, I mean, even it's if wild, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I just we've just had four of these conversations that. in like two weeks. And so it's like really top yeah. of mind for us. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm not at all saying it's not true. I'm just yeah. thinking like how that would not be beneficial to a company. I mean, maybe like, explaining to your manager why it would be beneficial before you just did it. It might be a control thing. It might just mm-hmm. be a deal where they're like, we That's- want to control what goes out. So you just go tell them about an idea you had and they just need to give you the thumbs up and then they're yeah. okay with it or something. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I mean, I just can't, cause there is, there is the whole thing about, I don't think that some people get how much value there is in sharing information. Yeah. Um, the, the, the more contact points and that whole thing. Um, you know, it's like, I missed the whole Bitcoin thing cause it was over my head. Well, I think that <laughs> a lot of people's social media is over their head and, and mm, I don't yeah. think that it, it's, it seems foreign to us because we, we pretty much grew up with social media, but yeah. I think to, to, you know, uh, some of the, the people that are at different cycles in their careers, it's probably so foreign to them. Yeah, yeah. They haven't thought about that. It's been more like, no, let's keep our information here. It's just really interesting. Cause it's like over on Twitter, you know, I've met Case Vantoff from Diamondback from Twitter. He's on there, you know, Cody Campbell, Matt Gallagher. I mean, these are all, you know, prominent dudes in oil and gas and they're becoming more active on social media. And so it's like, on one hand, it's like, okay, you start to see oil and gas, you know, turning, turning the tide and getting more involved in social media. But then it's like, you have old Jim that's trying to put out content and get more exposure for his oil field service company. And, you know, he's, I don't want to say nobody, but you know, he's lower down on the food chain. He's not a CEO or C-suite that can do these things. And his company's telling him like, Hey, can't post that stuff. And just wonder if that, you know, affects the recruiting process if they were to ever, you know, work with a headhunter and move companies. But it's just, I would imagine that one, I think we were having this conversation that one day, like, probably especially in the biz dev and the marketing side, like your personal brand and like reach and the types of content that you've created, I think will be kind of part of that resume. Yeah. I think that speaks volumes as to what you can actually do Yeah, and the kind of attention that you can generate. You know, that's extremely, extremely important, especially in any kind of biz dev role. That is way more effective than sitting there on LinkedIn and blasting out me- like generic messages to people. You're not qualifying yeah. them all the- like. LinkedIn's also a dumpster fire. So let's just, let's just put that <laughs> I agree. there. And I think I, I agree with, I agree with both of y'all's points. Um, you know, I, 
without knowing the exact situation, it's tough for me to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, we're not trying to railroad you. No, no, this no, is no, just, just, just top of like, mind. Um, it wouldn't, as far as like, so like, if you're asking for for my impression on on what it, it it would be beneficial, I would think if they had more of a presence, if you were yeah. looking for someone in that space, you know, maybe if we were doing a position with with Apple or something like that, where they they don't want anything, and it's like the mm-hmm. you know tighter security than getting into the Pentagon, then, yeah. you know, then, then maybe not. But yeah. I think that that would just be a conversation you have with the person. You just tell them, Hey, we think you'd be great for this, but here's the thing. You share way too much information on social media. Yeah. Like we'll, mm. we're going to approve what you can and can't share, yeah. you know, and maybe that, maybe those people just need to have a conversation. They're like, what can I share and what can't I share? Yeah. Maybe that's their concern. Their concern isn't what they're doing. It's what they're sharing. And maybe it's like, maybe they haven't shared anything that's too open yet, but they're just worried. Like we don't want that out to everybody. Or yeah. Something, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we got a couple more minutes here before we wrap up. What are, you know, the challenges? I didn't think about this, but you mentioned COVID and obviously missing that component of just being able to get together for a mm-hmm. round of golf and feel everyone out and, you know, kind of pick up on those nuances and vibes that you would get from having a, face-to-face meeting how did that affect you guys in 2020 and how did you overcome those challenges of trying to do this all over zoom yeah so um we had uh, i I I think it was something like i think we were working on like 16 or 17 positions when covid started um i think that we're that we're open that we were actively working on I think that probably got cut down to about 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we had five of them that canceled or put it on hold. Um, and then we had all of those wrapped within like the first month and a half, two months. And so everyone knew who they wanted to hire, but they were like, man, I just can't, I just can't pull the trigger on this guy unless I meet him in person. Um, or, you know, this girl or whatever, whatever the, this, the situation was. And, um, finally it was just like we need to close this like how about we do a driveway happy hour and y'all can shake hands or do (laughs) fist bumps or whatever and sit six feet apart and and work out your deal Um, and you'll just go full full king in the hill you're just out there just sipping beer on the front yard whatever you if there's a teetotaler there and we need no alcohol let's do it but let's 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 do something yeah you know and so we, we, we did that a couple times, um, a couple others, it was just kind of verbal commitments and the other person had something that was going on that they couldn't start for a while. And so, you know, you just had to get creative on ways to make people comfortable with, with, yeah. cause nobody, it, no matter how virtual we get and everything, you still want to meet someone face to face. Like you mm-hmm. still want to sit down and talk to them for the most part. There's a yeah. lot you can learn about somebody just by yeah. being in the same room with them. Body language yeah. and yeah, you know, anyways, so so we did a lot of stuff like that. Um, you know, as far as, as far as the work that was coming in, that didn't slow down. It actually increased a little bit. And mm. I think a lot of that had to do with what we were talking earlier about the adoption of some of the new social media, things like yeah. that. Not necessarily the adoption of social media, but the adoption of some of the technology practices mm. that have been done. Yeah. I think that there were a lot of leaders that were in, in place that, um, you know, we've been talking about this great shift for, at least as long as I've been in the industry. Yeah. Last and 10 I years. think, um, I think that this kind of kind of put it forward, like, Hey, it, it is time now for these guys to step out as like, 
maybe they maintain board positions, maybe they stay on as ex- executive advisors or something. But 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 we need somebody that's that's really comfortable with with software and um, you know we don't have to have the IT guy go set up Zoom at their house and <laughs> you know that kind of thing. And so um, we still had a lot of that kind of thing that that was yeah. born in. That's awesome. That's exciting too. Yeah. On yeah. that topic, are you seeing? Let's just say for you know traditional technical roles for say E and P's, are you seeing like a new kind of skill set or, or number of skills that people are kind of looking for, like hey, data science or big data or this or that, kind of being lumped into kind of the the requirements for some of these jobs? Yeah, and I think it's kind of funny because you hear people, big data is just a buzzword right now. It's oh, like yeah. you know they say you'll talk to someone, they say, yeah, I'm looking for somebody that's really skilled at data analytics, and you're like. We've always done, we've always analyzed data. There's always been data analytics. Mm-hmm. They're just calling it something new now, you mm-hmm. know, and it's got new software or whatever's going on with it. Data analytics, data yeah, science, yeah. big data, ML. Um, I think that one thing that has come up a lot that has been a big plus for some roles is exposure, maybe not necessarily an expert, but exposure to coding within some of those platforms. Mm-hmm. And being able to know some of those languages within some of the different software platforms that are used just for the data analytic piece. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think generally speaking, it's that's almost like a it's almost like a way to shift down to what the the um, earlier career cycle experts in their space can already do. You know, Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of that's what they learn in, in college now, you know, like yeah. if, if somebody's graduating with an engineering degree in college from college in petroleum engineering, then they already know how to code and spot fire and stuff like that. I mean, it's like, you look, my kids, I mean, they know how to code from coding up Roblox games, you know, yeah. like kids are just learning how to code. It's, it's even back, you know, like nuts. our generation making MySpace pages, we were all coding and man, everybody HTML. knew HTML. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were all like, yeah. We're making MySpace layouts. Yeah. yeah. So you come up learning how to do that. Right. Yeah. And then, I was like, I'm a hacker. That's, that's actually that's like I when I, I mean, when I started roughnecking, Payson was just becoming a thing on rigs and I was advancing so quickly because I was like, these old drillers wouldn't take the time to learn how to use Payson. And I was like, you know, fucking stupid. Like you just push some buttons. It's a computer. <laughs> grew up using computers mm-hmm. and interfaces like that. Right. And yeah. So it was inherent like to who I was. I already knew it. So, well, it's like, I remember we worked on a, I worked on a project, um, and they were very, very specific about, they've got to have Aries. They've got to have Aries. And I just said, you know, if, if they know what Aries is supposed to do, it's, it's the same as some of the others and it's a little obtuse and, and it, maybe it's not as user friendly as some of the others. But as long as you understand the functionality, the buttons are just in a different place. <laughs> you know, if you find the right person, why wouldn't you focus on that? Like, nope, nope, got to have Aries. I don't want to deal with somebody that's going to take them five years to learn Aries. I'm like, <laughs> man, this is, when When did you learn Aries? Was this like 1986? Jesus. This? Like, yeah. Yeah, you know, Aries versus needs to be put now, out to pasture. It, now it'll just say like, um, you know, economics evaluation, yeah. software, yeah. user experience or something yeah. like that. Um, and now, you know, you've got stuff out that's, that's, that's competing with some of those kind of, yep tried and true spaces. And mm-hmm. so, yep. you know, it's, it's going to be very, I think that we've lived in a very exciting time in the oil and gas industry. I think that 
We're the only generation that got to see zero prices up to $115 mm-hmm. a barrel. Yeah. Um, you know, we're the only ones or we're the ones that are now seeing all this new technology that's rolling out where, you know, you hit a button and it does the yep. work of what it used to take two months to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, you know, it's nuts. I think it's exciting. I think, I think it's, so too. I think that, and I think that the transition that's going to happen, you know, a lot of the, I don't want to call it renewables, but alternative energy sources other yeah. than what we've traditionally done. Those have been really fun projects to work on. Um, you know, and so it's just, it's, I think we're up for, for a really fun time in the industry and, and kind of clicking along here. Yeah, Dude, absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Dude, this is a great podcast. We haven't had anyone from the recruiting space on to, you know, really kind of teach us the, the nuts and bolts and get us in the <laughs> weeds of how it works. So appreciate you doing that. Um, you know, if someone wants to use y'all services, where can they find y'all? What's the website? Uh, energist.com. Energist.com. Yep. All right. So we'll include a link to that in the show notes. So if you're listening, and you need someone to go start searching on your behalf. Got the man here. Yep. Go find him. And we're happy to help people too. You know, if they need need work with uh, just kind of taking a look at something, um, you know, if they're looking for work or something like that, we're happy to help. Can't cool. guarantee that we're going to be able to place them somewhere, but mm-hmm. always happy to happy to help. And we want to get as many people back to the workforce as possible. So, right. Um, yeah. Awesome. That's what always we want to see. Let's get people man. back to work. Micah, always a pleasure chatting with you, man. Thanks for stopping by. If you guys enjoyed the episode, take two seconds, share with your friends, send it to everybody at the company. Go listen to some of the other podcasts. Uh, We've got a lot of things coming up. Just pay attention to us on the internet. We'll catch you guys later.